You may be seated. Um, it figures that today's message is going to be on humility because I have a humbling statement to make. I've already messed up. Uh, in your bulletin, uh, I have listed that we're reading out of Luke. We're actually reading out of Mark today. So not that big of a mistake. We're going to be reading Mark chapter 10. So if you want to open up your Bibles, Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 45 today. Not that big of a mistake. That's something a humble guy would say, isn't it? All right, Mark 10, 32 through 45. They were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and scourge him and kill him, and three days later he will rise again. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus, saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit, one on your right hand and one on your left hand, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? They answered him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or my left hand, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten began to feel indignant with James and John. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be the first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. I was at a uh, uh, community event a few months ago, and, and it, was, uh, it was an opening for, for something. And, and when I went there, you, you know how like when you've never been to a place, you're trying to eyeball, okay, who can I get along with in this room? And it's not that it, I like people, and I think I get along with a lot of people. But, you know, I walked in the room, and, and I sort of thought, you know, okay, smarter than me or, you know, I, I, you know I, I can't carry a conversation with them. I'll get lost. And, you know, I'm kind of walking through, and, and there was one person that I just, I kind of noticed, and I went to go talk to them, and somehow I ended up at a different table, and, and I was with this person that, that just loved to tell me about all of the wonderful things that they've done in their life. And, and it, was, it was one of those, you know, I, it was wonderful things. It, it was amazing stuff that, that this person did. And I won't go into detail, but uh, he certainly did. Um, 
and, and I listened to it, and I listened to it, and, and then finally the event started, and we listened to this person, and as it turns out, the person that I was headed to, to go talk to, ended up being one of the speakers at the event, and when she got up there, it was the most humble message I had ever heard. She gave a testimony about her life. She talked about how the organization that was opening up was, was responsible for helping her turn her life around health-wise and, and that now because of this place. And, and it, was, it was just, it was so humbling that she would admit to all of these people the physical health problems that she had and then to be so thankful for this organization and what they did. Now, walking away from that event, who do you think I enjoyed listening to the most? Yeah, the, the person who was speaking humbly. And that's because we have in our society, and it's very much in our society, it's not just within our church, but it has seeped into the Western world at large. We have a value. We see a virtue in humbleness. We see a value and a virtueness uh, uh, in, in being humble, in not speaking so highly of yourself, and being there for other people, that when we run into somebody that isn't humble, we're, we're you know, oh boy, oh my goodness, this is an exhausting conversation. Uh, and then when we run into somebody that is very humble, we are just lifted up, and, and we're so amazed, and we're so impressed. But it hasn't always been like this. Go back 2,000 years in Jesus' day, and it was actually the other way around. You would have never talked about your mistakes, you would have never talked about your shortcomings to anybody. Nobody at all. The only person that you might have talked about your mistakes and your shortcomings and what you need improvement on would have been your superior. It would have been... Uh, somebody that was in charge of you, somebody that maybe it was uh, the king or the governor of the city or the state that you lived in. Uh, it might have been somebody, maybe your boss, that, that paid you, that you would admit your mistake to. But there was no virtue, there was no value in looking down on yourself, in seeing where you need improvements and where your shortcomings are at. In fact, the other way around, the people that talked about them th themselves the most were considered the most honorable, the most prestigious in their community. And so going back 2,000 years ago, you would brag to people about the accomplishments that you've had in life. And so we can see where James and John's mental, uh, their, their mental ideas were coming from because as they're walking with Jesus, they're sitting back and, and they're thinking to themselves, all of the accomplishments that they've made while being disciples of Jesus. You know, as they're walking along, they're, they're probably thinking in their minds, man, you know, John, we've really earned our place of authority with this teacher, Jesus. You know, we've been following him for three years, and in that three years, who did he take up to the Mount of Transfiguration? It was us, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right, that's right, it was us. And, and who's one of the 12? Is it any of those people over there? No, they're not one of the 12. We're one of the 12. And who's always front in line whenever Jesus speaks? You know, that's us. And so James and John, I, I think they're being genuine and sincere within their culture and society 
when they walk up to Jesus and say, we want you to grant to us whatever we ask. In their minds, they've not only earned it, but it's also a virtue and a value within their culture. And so when they approach Jesus and say to him, hey Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask of you. And I love Jesus' response, by the way. You don't know what you're asking. <laughs> and I like how he says up front, well, what, what do you want me to do? Uh, because I'll let you know if I'm going to do it or not. And when they say to him, we want you to appoint us as your right and left-handed men when your glory comes, that is a huge request. That is, they know that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe that, that he is sent by God. And their perception of the Messiah is that he is going to come is, and he is going to usher in this unbelievable kingdom for his people. And so James and John are thinking, okay, once he overthrows the Roman government, he's going to need some governors to, to have authority over people. Who better than us to govern all these people? Listen, he even, guys, Jesus gave James and John the nickname Sons of Thunder. How cool of a nickname is that? He sees their, their tenacity. He sees how, how passionate they are. And so he nicknamed, you guys are like, like lightning came out of heaven, and that's how you were born on this earth. You're sons of thunder. And they're talking to themselves saying, hey, why else would he name us sons of thunder than he wants us to be in charge of his earthly kingdom? And so when they approach Jesus, their question, based on their culture, based on their understanding of values, is not far-fetched. In their minds, they've earned it. And not only have they earned it, it's honorable. It's good for them to talk about it. And so when they tell Jesus this, his response, you have no clue what you're asking for right now. Obviously, you have not been listening to my teachings very closely. And he asks them the question, are you able to drink the cup that I drink of? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to go through? And what's he foreshadowing, or what's he prophesying, but his death on the cross? And, and James and John, they have the audacity to ask Jesus this after he tells them the way in which he's going to die. He says, we're going to Jerusalem right now, and we're going so that the chief priests and scribes, the religious authorities, can have charge over me and hand me over to the Gentiles. These are Jesus' peers. The, the religious leaders, they're teachers of the law, just like Jesus is. And Jesus says, they're going to approach me as if I'm below them, as if they have any authority over me. And then when they're done, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, which the Jewish people believed were trying to take over their lives and were actually considered their authorities in the world. So what Jesus is saying is not only are my peers going to see me as lower than them, they're going to hand me to the people that don't even believe in God. They're pagans that worship idols and false gods. I'm going to be put under their authority. They're going to mock me. They're going to uh, spit on me. They're going to make me suffer. And then, not only am I going to be under the Jewish authority, that's actually my peers that I'm keen over, not only am I going to be under pagan authority, I'm now going to be put to death. So you see Jesus describing his work as Messiah 
it's not that glorious. James and John thought that Jesus was going to come in with a sword and start a war with the Roman government. And Jesus has told his disciples, I'm headed to the heart of Jerusalem so that I can be put under the authority of people that I'm smarter than to be put under the authority of people that don't even believe in my Father, and then to be put to death in the worst way possible, which is death on a cross. Death on a cross was saved for the worst thieves, the worst people. It was the most shameful way that you could die. When you looked at somebody hanging on the cross, the feeling you're supposed to get is, I never want to be as bad as that person. And Jesus is warning his disciples, that is the death I'm going to face. It's not going to be in the middle of a war. It's not going to be when I go up against the armies of Rome. It's going to be when I'm handed over to be put under the authority of other people. Are you, are you able to drink of that cup and be baptized in that baptism? And James and John respond, they say, we are, we're able and I love Jesus' response. It's kind of like, well, good, because that is the cup and the baptism that you're about to partake in. And of course, Jesus is prophesying what happens in the book of Acts with the persecutions that take place. But now is time. Jesus is looking over his disciples and he hears them murmuring. When that word is used, it's, it's not always a good word in Scripture. In, in Mark's passage, it says that they become indignant. They, they hear that James and John are trying to get the best seat in the house. And they see that James and John are trying to have authority over the entire nation. And remember, they're part of the twelve, okay? So there's plenty of other followers of Jesus. Jesus has grabbed twelve of them that are going to be his closest disciples. And so Peter and, and, and uh, the other disciples, they're sitting there thinking, whoa, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. James and John think that they're the ones worthy of the right and left hand of Jesus? Hold on a moment, in their future, they think they're going to have authority over me? <laughs> over my dead body? And they begin to talk with one another about who might deserve it. And by the way, this isn't the first conversation the disciples have had of this. They've had other conversations where they ask themselves, who was first in the kingdom? In fact, just a chapter earlier, when they say it, when, when Jesus hears them talking amongst one another, who is going to be first in the kingdom? That is, who is going to have the highest authority and who is going to have the most prominence when God, God's kingdom comes? Jesus then answers their question, and he brings a small child next to him and says, this child is going to have first place in the kingdom over you guys because you don't understand how my kingdom works. And so now we're in this conversation where they find out that James and John have worked up the courage to ask for this place of authority, and I bet Peter's looking at him thinking, whoa, hey, hold on a minute. I was on the Mount of Transfiguration with you, and as far as I can tell, Jesus only has two hands, so I get one of them. You guys fight for the left hand, I want the right hand. And I don't know what the disciples were saying in this moment, but what we do know is that they looked at James and John, and they really felt like James and John did not deserve that place of authority like they did. 
And they begin to fight amongst one another to the point that Jesus has to call them in. And remember, he's already warned them about his suffering and death and resurrection. He's already warned them that if they continue to follow in his ways, they're going to die the same way he does. And so now, I, there's moments in Jesus' ministry where the disciples don't get what he's saying, and, and I picture Jesus like, oh my goodness. Oh, all right, guys, guys, come on. Get in, get in. Take a knee, take a knee. And Jesus begins to explain to them in this moment what it really means to be one of his followers and what it really means in this life to have authority and to be number one in the kingdom of heaven. And so he creates a contrast, or he, or he tells them of the contrast that the kingdom of heaven has with this world. And he says, everyone else who doesn't believe in God, everyone in this world who, who's not a believer, who doesn't know me, who doesn't know my father, the Gentiles, the pagans, whenever they have authority, they lord it over the people that are below them. They let everybody know that they're the ones in charge, and they remind the people below them, don't you ever step over this line of authority, because this is mine. And he says, not only that, their authorities will exercise great power over them. And the chain goes all the way up. Jesus says, this is how this world functions. They function in a way that, that they try to grab power and hold it for themselves. And the more power they have, the more safety they have, and not only that, the more power they have, the more honor they have. It is not this way among you. And, and by the way, notice, he doesn't say it shouldn't be this way among you. He says it is not this way among you. It will not happen in my kingdom. And he tells the disciples, any of you that wants to have the place of authority and honor must serve everyone around him. Everyone that wants that place of authority, everyone that wants to sit at my right hand and my left hand must be slave to everyone. And then Jesus reminds them again what kind of suffering and death he's going to go through. And he says, listen, I came to earth to be a slave to everyone and to be a ransom for many. Do you think you're better than that? And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's taking the understanding of humbleness and pride and he's turning them around completely. Because in that time, if you had honor, it was a sign of merit. It was a sign that you did everything you were supposed to do, and so now you're in a position of authority, you're in a position of honor, you're a good, virtuous person. And if you're in a place of dishonor, it says you're worthless. When you're in a place of dishonor, the culture that the disciples are living in says, You've done nothing good in your life. And look at what Jesus does. He takes the very thing that is dishonorable, the cross, and he puts it on high. 
There's a reason the church accepted the cross as its number, as its number one symbol. Look in the sanctuary. How many crosses do we have embedded around here? 2,000 years ago, that would have been unheard of. 2,000 years ago, the cross was a sign of dishonor and shame and humility. And what Jesus did was by being a servant of all, a slave to all, dying for everyone, he switched that around so that it wouldn't be this way among his church. That God's people would not exercise authority over one another with pride and, and in a conceited way, but rather we would serve one another. And that our honor would come from being a slave to all people. The historian John Dixon writes in his book uh, about humility that our understanding of humility, in the West at least, in Europe and America, comes from Jesus. Which means Jesus started it all. Our value on being humble, our value on not being prideful, stems from Jesus Christ in our culture. So how much more is it important in our church to continue this practice of humility, not only with one another, but everyone out in this world? There's a reason that in Jesus' teachings, he says, if somebody makes you do something, go the extra mile. That phrase right there, go the extra mile, it came from Jesus. He said, if a Roman soldier makes you carry his luggage for one mile, take his luggage an extra mile. Do more for people to serve them. So Jesus started this all. How much more should we be practicing it in our church? I'm afraid we've gotten to a point in this world, and, and maybe even in the church, I, I don't want to pass judgment, but I think we've gotten to a point where we've started to take humility for granted. And we've started to just assume that the things we do are humble in nature. And maybe sometimes we need to take a step back and look at our life and really ask ourselves the question, am I really trying to be a servant of all people? Am I really trying to be a slave to everybody? But more than that, why are you doing it? Mother Teresa writes in, her, in, in one of her works, she says that, if you try to serve everybody without love for them, then all you're doing is binding yourself to slavery. And by the way, when Jesus says, be a slave to all, what he means is serve. Um, I just, I want to point that out. And what Mother Teresa is trying to say is that if you're trying to serve people and you don't have love in your heart for that person, you're actually being a slave, but not in the sense that Jesus says. You're doing it in a sense of self-destruction. And so what she is telling people to do is to follow in the path of Jesus. He didn't come to earth to die on the cross because he had to. He did it because he wanted to. He loved us so much that he came to serve us in this way. And so we're called as Christians to walk in that step and really love one another to the point that we then say, what are other ways I can serve my brothers and sisters in Christ? What are other ways that I can serve them where they need it the most? And then finally, a, a, a warning that I want to give about living a humble life. C.S. Lewis makes an interesting point in, in his book, Mere Christianity. He says the people that struggle with pride the most 
are oftentimes the people that are most annoyed with prideful people. And he says, you know, look at it this way. When you go to a party and you see somebody there who's the life of the party and he's making everybody laugh and you're sitting there thinking, he's not that funny. I'm better than that guy. I cannot believe everybody's listening to this clown. I cannot believe it. C.S. Lewis points out the struggle you're really having is that you think more highly of yourself than you actually are. And that when you're uh, looking at somebody else's pride and disgust, what you're probably doing more often than not is being envious that they're getting away with their pride and you wish you could get away with it too. It's a reminder to us in the church that when we go out into the world, not to let pride sneak into our work, but that we go out and when we present the truth, when we present the gospel, we do it in love and we do it in humility. Because Jesus' call in our life is that we become a servant to all people, that we are called not to lift ourselves up, but to actually be before people and serve them in a way that they look at, at you and say, wow, there's something special. As we close, I, I want to tell a story I heard years ago, and, and I, I have really no detail on it, but it was a story of a, of a monk that went into a monastery, and, and he was really hoping when he got in that, that he'd be able to just sit the closest to the, to the abbot, the guy in charge, and that he could really study and prove his value as a monk. And when he got there, he actually was assigned the worst duties in the whole monastery. He was the one that sat up for dinner and cleaned afterwards. He oftentimes had to go and clean the dirtiest floor throughout the building. But he did it faithfully. And what he found is that whenever he prayed through his tasks... He felt better about them. And so as the story goes, he, he would sit there and be scrubbing the floors and he would turn it into a prayer and he would say, Lord Jesus, just clean me. Clean me like, like I'm cleaning these floors. Lord, and, and the dirt that's on these floors, I pray that you would just rinse the dirt of my life away, just like I'm rinsing the dirt away here. And as he got into this mode of prayer, as he got into this mode of seeing service as a way to serve Jesus, he began to get his work done faster and better and with more thankfulness and enthusiasm. And it finally came to an end when his abbot called him into his office to talk with him. And he said, do you know what you've been doing around here? He said, well, yeah, I've been cleaning toilets and floors and dishes and, and all sorts of stuff. He said, no, this place is going through a revival. He said, every time people go into the room that you clean, they feel as if though Jesus is there and it turns into a place of prayer. What are you doing? <laughs> and so he told him what he was doing. That's the kind of life we're called to live as Christians. We're called to live a life of humility, that, that when Jesus calls us to walk after him, we're living a life that's serving him, and we're living a life that's bringing him honor, not bringing honor to ourselves. And you would be amazed as you live this out in your Christian life how many people are going to see Jesus because of the work that he's calling you to do. Let's pray. God, once again we come to you and, and we thank you for this time of worship. We thank you for this time 
of, of getting into your word and listening to you. Lord, as we leave this place, we pray that you would call us to, to new forms of service and humbleness, Lord, not for, not for our sake, but for yours. And Lord, we know that you've been given the strength and you give that strength to us. So Lord, if there's any area of our life that you're calling us to serve and, and we're feeling like, like it would be below us or we're feeling as if though we can't go through with it, we pray, God, that you would give us the strength. But also, Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom. Lord, give us the wisdom that as we go out and serve one another and go out and serve people in this world, that we would know where to go, we would know what to do, that you would strengthen us for that call. And Lord Jesus, most of all, this is what we pray. We pray that in our service, everyone around us would come to you closer, including ourselves. We pray that you would receive all of the honor and all of the glory. Amen.